0: afternoon, looking at Proverbs 26, verses 1 through 12. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open there now, Proverbs 26, verses 1 through 12. Let's now give our attention as God speaks to us in his living living and abiding word. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest ye be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who, build, who binds the stone in the sling, is one who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or a drunkard. Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats its folly. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. This concludes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May God be pleased to bless it to us. Well, last time, the last passage of Proverbs a couple of weeks ago, we considered how we deal with different people in our relationships. We talked about how we interact with those in authority. We talked about how we interact with our neighbors. And we talked about how we interact with people that are difficult. And then how we even deal with our own heart so that we are good neighbors ourselves and not difficult people. Well in today's passage we're looking at how to deal with a fool out of the twelve verses we have here all except for one explicitly mention a fool so this passage is about fools in helping us how to engage a fool but not only that it also helps us to deal with our own foolishness so that we do not emulate a fool now I think at this point it's helpful to briefly. Remember what a fool is based on what we've seen so far in Proverbs. A fool hates wisdom and understanding. He hates correction and criticism because he's insecure. Insecure, He relies on his own righteousness. He is trying to receive justification and approval from others. He does not want to be taught or learn anything because that would imply lack on his part. He he resents having to learn. He believes that his way of thinking about something is already right, and so rather than critically thinking, he's merely critical of others. He believes he knows it all and loves to express his own opinion. He rushes to conclusions and makes rash judgments. He delights in doing what is evil. He is deceitful. Given over to anger, slanders, and spreads rumors. He is prone towards all violence. He is hardened in his sin. He has encountered wisdom, but he's rejected it. And so when the scripture says, fool, this is what it has in mind. And so how do we deal with a fool, and how do we avoid being foolish ourselves? Well, four elements to consider when dealing with a fool. The first is this, honor. We do not give honor to a fool. Verse 1, like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Now, snow can be a wonderful thing. It's beautiful in the wintertime as the snow glistens off mountains and trees. It's fun to get out into. Yesterday we we went up to North Fork to get a Christmas tree. The kids loved playing in the snow. It can be a great thing, but it is very unfitting in the summer. Maybe not so much here, but it's happened before. It's still very unfitting. It is unwelcome. It is even destructive for the growing season. And rain and harvest time in their area is also out of place and would even be destructive for the crops. Well, this is the way it is to give honor to a fool. It's out of place. Honor is to give special recognition to public affirmation and bestow special honor's responsibility to someone. Because a fool has not shown himself worthy of this, and indeed is not, this is out of place as snow is in summer. And not only this, it's going to greatly backfire. Look down at verse 8. Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives fool It gives honor to a fool. Now this seems to be referring to uh, either that the stone kind of gets tied to a sling, so you pull it back and it's just going to backfire on you, or perhaps it's like giving a very foolish person a loaded gun. In any case, it becomes useless and it's going to cause much damage. This is what happens when you give honor to a fool. He becomes puffed up in pride and becomes more of a bear to deal with. He rubs it in other people's faces. He thinks he's justified in his folly. It's ammo for his pride. He's going to misuse his position and power and end up causing much more harm than good. I think how we apply this is we... We don't give affirmation or approval to any foolishness. We don't laugh at coarse or dirty jokes. We don't encourage gossip or slander. We don't give our approbation to our culture's uh, immorality. We don't justify any sinful behavior. We even gently rebuke it in a gracious manner. And this brings us to how we answer a fool. And that's the second element. So we saw first honor, second answer. Verse 2. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. You may be wondering, okay, how does this have anything to do with answering a fool? Well, given the context, it's very likely that it's the fool who's doing the cursing. Uh, A curse is asking God, or in pagan culture, the gods, to damn someone, to punish someone. To cause great harm on someone. And if it's causeless, that is, it has no cause behind it, that person doesn't deserve it, then it's not going to alight. That It's not going to come to pass. It's not going to land on the person. And back then, curses were taken very seriously. Uh, today, it's usually just a full shouting obscenities uh, we call them curse words, using the Lord's name in vain, cussing at us, wishing harm with his words. But how do we respond to such a curse? Well, we do not fret. We don't worry. We don't let it bother us. We know they are empty words. And we see it as such so that we don't respond in like manner. It's like a bird that just flies around aimlessly in the air. It's never going to land. It's never going to stick. And I think we need to think about this when it comes to, uh, in our day, karma or jinx. Uh, we're afraid that something bad's going to happen if we're not good enough, or that uh, if we say something, it's going to it's going to jinx. It. So things are going to be bad. If we say, hey, I'm thankful for this, or hey, I think this good thing's going to happen, we'll say, well, don't jinx it. That's kind of like saying, Oh, there you go! Your words just brought about a curse, and I think that we need to not believe that, not think that way. That's not how the universe works. I know for some sports fans, I'm a Husker fan. It seems like that's the way it works. Just when I turn on the TV to start watching them, they start losing. But that's not how the way uh, the world works. And I and I think also uh, maybe more deeply. Not only do we not believe the fool's words, we also don't believe Satan's words when he condemns us. He tries to get us to live in sin by suggesting that our identity is one of guilt. Look at how guilty you are. Look at how sinful you are. Certainly. God won't forgive you. You are not devoted enough. You have not mastered an area in your life that should continue to plague you. You are not sincere enough. You have not repented enough. You have not surrendered enough. You are not as devoted as other Christians. God is angry at you. The curse upon you. And how that gets us to live in sin is that rather than drawing near to God, rather than delighting in Him, leading us to see our idols as nothing, leading us to see the pleasures of sin as nothing because we're satisfied with our God, it causes us to withdraw from God. It causes us to say, well, I'm not sure of God's steadfast love. How do I get God's steadfast love? i have to be better i need to improve upon my obedience my obedience is what keeps god's curse at bay and that causes us to live in sin to to be enslaved to sin it causes us to run to idols more manageable gods that comfort us rather than finding comfort in our god but we need to see satan's words as empty words Uh, It is true that we are still sinful within. But if we are in Christ, God's curse will not land on us because it has landed on Christ. Those birds, as it were, landed on Him as those birds that Abraham, in that Abrahamic covenant cut, landed on those sacrificial pieces. So God's curse landed on Christ. Christ took our curse by becoming a curse for us. Therefore, there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ. There's no possibility of a curse whatsoever for us because Christ took it all. And so if we are in Christ, we are eternally blessed with God's favor, acceptance, and approval. As Paul says in Romans 8, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who is justified. So we do not fear or fret over a fool's cursing words or Satan's accusations. We trust in the work of Christ. But how do we deal with a fool? Verse three a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of the fools. Now, this is telling us that you can't reason with a fool. Uh, just as you cannot reason with a horse or donkey by using logical words and argumentation, but only with an object, so it is with a fool. Now, this is not suggesting that we should uh, grab a rod and hit a fool ourselves. There are times that we have to spank our own children, and there are times that we have to turn things over to the civil authorities, which has the sword to punish the evil doer, and that's. Sometimes the only way a fool can be dealt with. And this is what God does for His children when they walk in foolishness. He brings out the rod, the rod of discipline. He disciplines and reproves those whom He loves and receives as a son. That encourages us not to walk in foolishness so that we do not face His dis- discipline. Then verses 4-5 through five deals with answering a fool with words. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Now this is probably one of the more well-known proverbs because of the apparent contradiction here. On the one hand, we're told, don't answer a fool according to his folly. And then immediately after we are told, answer a fool according to his folly. So what's going on here? Well, obviously, it goes without saying, there's no contradiction in God's word. This is because God cannot lie. Therefore, he can't contradict himself. Uh, He is truth itself. His word is truth. Therefore, there is no contradiction. What's going on here is that the scripture is simply catching our attention by putting two seemingly contradictory statements next to one another. And what is being communicated here is that the response to a fool is dependent upon the circumstances, or the situation. So verse 4 is telling us not to answer a fool in the same manner as his folly. A fool yells, he curses, he gets angry, he makes false accusations, he misrepresents people, he uses straw men, he provokes people to anger. Verse 4 is saying, don't answer in that manner. Because you will be like him. That's the way he does it. And you don't want to follow suit in being like him. But then verse 5 switches to a different situation or circumstance. Verse 5 is talking about when an answer is required. Uh, Your silence or your reservation may make him think that his foolishness is the right viewpoint. Aha, you don't have an answer for me. I have shut your mouth. (laughs) You can't answer, can you? At this point, we need to answer the fool according to the folly that he has just spewed out. That is, we need to declare the truth to dispel his falsehood. So to give an example of the differences between these two, let's say a fool is ranting and raving about you, making false accusations about uh, your character. And how do you answer him not according to his folly? Well, you don't respond in like manner. Oh, yeah? Well, you're a moron, too. Let me tell you, we don't stoop down to his level. We are to never pay back insult with insult. But, let's say a fool is telling you God approves of homosexuality and he would never condemn it. Well, then we can answer with the truth of Scripture, giving him an answer according to to his folly, that is, that it addresses his particular folly, while not answering him according to his folly, that is, in the manner of harshness and ungraciousness and lack of patience. I remember uh, seeing a politician during the Iowa caucuses in 2016 uh, interact with an angry farmer there in Iowa. And this farmer was yelling at this politician for his stance on government subsidies. This particular politician didn't believe that the government should be getting involved in giving subsidies. And this politician uh, remained silent and patient as this guy yells at him. And then he calmly said, Would you like to hear why I hold to this view? And that actually got the farmer to calm down. And he just simply explained his position. And then by the end of that, the farmer actually lined up with his position. And I think that's a good example of not responding in like kind, not answering a fool according to his folly, but then giving a reasoned answer in a calm manner, giving him an answer that appropriately addressed uh, this man's folly. I think that's what these two verses are talking about here. This is how we answer a fool. Now, a third element to consider when dealing with, with a fool is work. Verse 6, whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Now, to appreciate this proverb, we need to appreciate how important a messenger was. The communication back then wasn't via cell phone, social media, or what have you. You had to send a message by a messenger, and that messenger can really blow it. Uh, He can blow it if he did not accurately articulate the message, and he could blow it if he did not represent the manner and the peace and well-wishing of the one who sent him. If he was a messenger of the king, he could start a war with another nation, or he could rupture friendships. This is an important task. And when you entrust An important task to a fool? It's like drinking violence or cutting off your own feet. Our vernacular is tying our hands. You end up hindering yourself in doing this. And not only can the fool not be trusted with important tasks, he cannot be entrusted with words of wisdom. Verse 7, like a lame man's legs which hang useless is a proverb in the mouth of a fool's. So a fool may remember a proverb. And he may be able to articulate it, but he can't put it to good use himself, and he cannot explain it. It's like a man who has legs that he cannot use. And verse 9 essentially says the same, same thing, just with different imagery. Like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. So if a thorn gets embedded in your hand, that's going to hurt. The, the point is, it's going to have an impact. Now, I've never had a thorn embedded in my hand. I did lay on some cactus while hunting this past fall, and uh, it had an impact. I was pulling those things out for days. It's those, sometimes those those little ones. So, a few days later, you're still finding them. You're, you're laying in bed and like, oh, I feel another one. So you have to get up out of bed and get the tweezers and, and pull it out. Uh, the point is. It has an impact. Well, this is not the case for a fool with a proverb. It has no impact. Not only does he not know how to use it, he has no credibility to speak it. Just as a drunkard does not feel the impact of a thorn, the thorn has no impact on him, so the proverb in a fool's mouth has no impact on him or others. Verse 10, like an archer who wounds everyone, is one who hires a passing fool or drunkard. Now, if you're using the King James Version, uh, you're looking at something vastly different. Uh, The the way the King James Version puts it is, the great God that formed all things both rewardeth the fool and rewardeth the transgressors. Now, that seems like such a vast difference in English, but in Hebrew, it's really a matter of a couple of letters. The main manuscript for uh, Hebrew, the Masoretic text, Uh, Got corrupted here. So a couple of letters were missing. So they even supply a couple of letters the most common uh, Translation is the one that the ESV uses here. And so basically this is saying uh, a person with a bow and arrow uh, As a person with a bow and arrow injures everyone in sight. This is what a fool does when he's hired he creates chaos uh, he creates destruction and so This is something we need to keep in mind. This is also something we need to keep in mind to be good workers. Are we a blessing uh, to those who hire us, or do we create more problems for those we work for? So, uh, we have seen we don't give honor to a fool, first. Second, how to answer a fool. Third, uh, work. And then, fourth element to consider when dealing with a fool is sin. Look at verse 11. Like a dog that returns to his own vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. The food that caused his sickness is what he returns to. With the fool, the actions and ways that caused his consequences and can make him sick with shame is what he returns to. The consequences and the shame might keep him away from that sin for a while, But like Pharaoh, it soon wears off and returns to it. And what a sorry and desperate situation this is. And does this not cause us to see how greatly we need Christ to rescue us rather uh, than demanding things that we need to do to deliver ourselves? We, by nature, are fools, and we have remaining foolishness in our heart where we return to sin the sin that we were so determined to never go back to, the sin that made us feel sick with our shame, we return to. And it shows us how desperately we need Christ, how desperately we need His grace at all times. Now, you would think that a fool, being a fool is the worst possible thing. If you remember at the beginning, we described what a fool is. It's pretty sad. We just got done reading verse after verse of how despicable a fool is. A fool is someone who is hardened and unteachable. That's pretty bad. But then we go on to read in verse 12, there's actually something worse than a fool. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So we have just seeing how hardened a fool is and how steeped in sin a fool is. It, and there's really no hope for him. It would seem, Proverbs 27, 22 says, crush a fool in mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. What hope does a fool have? And yet we see, if you are wise in your own eyes, this is worse than being a fool. The scripture has already said that being wise in one's own eyes is a defining characteristic of being a fool. But the reason the proverb says this here, as if this characteristic goes beyond being a fool, is to show that this is the primary issue for foolishness. You deal with this, you deal with the foundation. After all, Proverbs 9 said that the pivotal point between a fool and a wise person is whether or not he's teachable, whether or not he humbly receives correction. The reason someone is not teachable and does not receive correction is precisely because he is wise in his own eyes. He thinks that he already understands everything. He doesn't need to change It's everyone else around him who's foolish. doesn't matter if it's the majority or not. I know best. He or she thinks everyone else around him or her is wrong. And if only they saw things from his or her perspective, then life would be better for me. But this is the worst of the worst when it comes to folly. There is no hope for change as long as this insidious pride remains. But praise be to God that by His Spirit, through His Word, He awakens His children to this pride and to turn from it. Maybe I don't understand everything. Maybe I'm the one who's wrong here. Maybe it's me and not others. And God even uses verses such as this as a means to cause His children to repent of such pride. So may God cause us to see this insidious and blinding pride that we may turn from it so that we may be humble, teachable, malleable. And may we call out to Jesus to deliver us from this pride since he is the merciful and powerful Savior who turns fools into wise learners and disciples of him. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to turn from this pride, for being wise in our own eyes, to have good critical thinking rather than just being critical we ask that uh, we would humble ourselves before you we know that we have the grace all the grace we'll ever need in christ to walk in humility to turn away from pride and to not be fools and to know how to wisely interact with fools who desperately need the same gospel that we have believed. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.